Listen to 101 with Tommy Zam. On the 13th episode, we sit down with Ben Duffy talking about his latest documentary, Behind the Scenes We Are Skateboarders and Life. Let's do this. What up, Ben? How you doing, dude? What's up, player? How's it going? Oh, man, just trying to get over this sinus stuff, man. It went away over the weekend, and then all of a sudden it comes back again. Shit, at least it's not COVID. (laughs) Maybe we're not going to win on that one, dude. (laughs) It's all good as long as it's not the big bad beast. No, nah, definitely not, dude. That, that that would suck, dude. I've been so I'll be so bummed. <laughs> but you know what? I, I think I had that. I mean, I had the symptoms like back in like like late December, early January, I think, you know, before it like got so big, you know, because I know in in California they say California was the first one to get hit for the United States. So Yeah. And I remember where I lived in San Diego, I mean the people in in the area where I lived, I lived in PB. So there are like so many people got so like ill, sick. And I know my mom got, when she came visit me over Thanksgiving holiday, she went back and she got really sick too. So, I mean, it's kind of like she had the same symptoms too. So I'm like, all right, dude, I wonder if I had it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend's mom, same time that you said you had symptoms, she got really, really, really sick. And then she was later on like, you know, once COVID kind of came out in March or February or whatever it was, she was like, you know what? I probably did have it. I built up the antibodies. Yeah, that would be crazy, huh? Yeah. You never scary. Know. Scary to think that, dude, you know? I know. Yeah. I'm ble- I feel blessed that I haven't. I don't know. Whatever. I, I mean, I, I feel blessed that I don't have it or I had never had it yet. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, you better knock on wood for that one. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, cool. You ready? You ready to get into this interview? Of course, man. All right. Well, Ben. Well, Ben, tell us a little about you. You know, some of the viewers might not know who you are, so just kind of like briefly, just tell us a little about you, where you came, where you're from, and what you're about. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I always said to everybody, like, it's always so weird how it works. Like, you know, Stacy Peralta, like, for the people who watched Dogtown and the Z Boys and Bones Brigade autobiography, like. They all know who Stacey Peralta is. But, like, for the people who've watched We Are Skateboarders, which, like, I don't know, man, like, quite a fair number of people watch it, they have no idea who I am. And, like, I kind of like that, like it like that. Like, I think it's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm Ben Duffy, and uh, I grew up in Manipac, New York, started skateboarding when I was 13, and eventually went to my first year of film school at SVA in New York City School of Visual Arts, and... Dropped out after my first year and moved to California on a whim with 800 bucks in my pocket and fucking worked my ass off. Two years later, We Are Skateboarders came about and and I'm the guy who made We Are Skateboarders. If that means anybody to, if that means anything to any of the people who have seen it, that's who I am. <laughs> that's right. And, yeah. and let's go back a little bit. Like, so you grew up in New York. What was it like growing up in New York? Um, I grew up about an hour and 15 minutes north of New York City. Okay. So it was, it was cool. I think I kind of had that like artist, uh, vengeance against where I grew up, to be honest. Like I, I really like, I hated it and it made me feel like I couldn't, um, like ever accomplish anything just because everybody around me just kind of was like, you know, they all went to university of Albany and like every, whatever. It's all well and good. It's just like, as an artist, I was like, where am I ever going to go being from upstate New York, you know? And it was, it was cool. Like, you know, I had the typical, like I, I lived in a suburb and, um, you know, I got a, I got a, Friend, I made a friend at age 13, and he was introduced to skateboarding a little bit earlier than that. And he came up to me one day with his friend Joe, who I knew from high school, and was like, hey, man, you want to come out and snowboard with us? So we snowboarded, we biked, we scootered, we we skateboarded. And then two weeks later, I was like, 
I think skateboarding just works for me and I'm going to cut out all the rest. So, <laughs> you know, I, that was how I was introduced to skateboarding. And then you got a camera and an editing software three months later. So I was all about making videos, but yeah, man, it's like, I don't know, like growing up in New York was weird. And then I saw, then I, to jump forward a little bit, and then I was in LA making weird skateboards when I was 18 or 19. And I saw Ratatouille, the animation film, and they were like, not everybody can become a great artist, but a great artist can from, come from anywhere. So I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have such of this kind of like tumultuous relationship where I grew up from because it's not about the place. It's really just about the person and what you want to, how much passion you have for your craft. And so, yeah, that's like, that's the most I could say about growing up in New York is that it kind of led me to this belief that I couldn't do anything, but then I realized, you know, sometimes you got to leave and come back to realize that you could do anything, but also like anything you wanted to or whatever, but also like, you know, it's uh, it's also not such a bad place. Yeah, 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 definitely. And do you remember your first like video that you made for skateboarding? Yeah, it was uh called "Don't Panic." There was "Don't Panic." The second one was "Second Thoughts," and the third one was called "What Is Juice?" Because of that Dave Chappelle skit, he's like, "Man, what the fuck is juice?" <laughs> <laughs> That's right, dude. And like, what, 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 like, you know, as as a filmer, like, how much hard work does it take to make sure that you capture the right stuff? You know what I mean? Like the right tricks, and and you know, and, you know, people like, oh, I don't want to skate this spot or that spot. Like, how? Like, tell us, take us into that, like, that that filming stage. Yeah, I mean, at that age, thirteen through seventeen, age thirteen to seventeen, like. It was more about, we were more worried about like who, which parent of ours is going to give us a ride to North Allen High School to, to skate a five stair. But um, like it was weird because like I was so concerned about that for so long. And that's kind of how I made videos. Like we just got to talk to our parents for like, so to drive us and then we can film. And then we would like, you know, I did a, like we would do like heel flips or nollie heels on a five stair, and it'd be like gold to us. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because, like, you know, I went to college for one year and then I moved to New York. I mean, I moved to California and it went from doing nollie heel flips down a five stair to working with like people like Lance Mountain fucking doing inverts in a 10 foot bowl. So it's like, it's funny that you asked that because it's like, the contrast between filming skateboarding at 17 years old and filming skateboarding at 19 years old was like a completely different realm for me. But I mean, I think that the passion I developed from filming like whatever, like literally like a switch 180 over down a two stair over a little planter uh, gave me the confidence to be like, you know, I can, I can, what's the difference between filming that and filming Lance Mountain to an invert in a 10-foot bowl as long as you're filming it well, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, nah, definitely. I mean, that, that's I mean, that's pretty I mean, that's pretty rad to, you know, to think about that, you know, because I mean you're coming from like being 17 years old, skating your home, you know, filming your homies, yeah, and getting like, you know, these rad nolly hills down like five stair sets and like, you know, just having a blast, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're in California filming top top-notch pros you know what i mean yeah. like well, i mean was it a big culture shock for you it was so weird because like you know we'll go more into this but i was i was kind of like on cloud 17 because of my mental illness that i had at the time so uh -huh. for me, i didn't have any like i just kind of thought as as you've seen in behind the story like i kind of just all thought it was expected of me and i just kind of like went out there and i was like if I'm filming with a pro, or like a like a Ardo Sari or a Lance Mountain or a Mark Gonzalez, like this is all just what I was. This is all just part of the plan, and like I just I didn't ever fan out, and I didn't ever. I mean, I rarely ever fanned out, and I, I didn't ever get like a shock. I was just like, this is what I have to do, and I'm going to do it. And and did, and and when you moved out to LA, I mean. 
and you said you flew out there with eight hundred dollars in your pocket, and like you didn't know anybody out there, or did you just like had someone? I literally all the only person I knew was my mom's boyfriend's ex-wife, who I stayed with, and her fourteen-year-old daughter, or however she. That was it. I didn't know literally anybody. And yeah, that, that was me moving out. And you know, that $800 ran out. Like my mom helped me for as long as she could, but then I actually ended up getting evicted. So the story starts from there, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was a very wild ride to get out there. And the first, the first six months out there, uh, I came out with my best friend, Mike Sistano, who's known as Mike Sass. He makes a lot of great people videos, but he left after the summer. So I was only out there for three months. So after he was gone, I was like, I think that was the biggest shock was like, I am really out here by myself. And this is really, really scary to me. And I remember it was funny. Cause the second I got off the plane with Mike, like, uh, in LA, I was like, I was freaking out. And I was like, I think I might have bipolar disorder. And I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, no, no, that's crazy. Cause you know, when I flew out to California, I mean, I was like, I was like 20, 20 years old, about to be 21 in June. But I flew out there with like a thousand dollars in the pocket and had a cousin that I never met in my life. And I moved out there and to San Diego to live with her and her like now husband and and it was it was a it was cool you know what i mean so i get what you're saying like going out there with eight hundred dollars in your pocket and like not knowing anybody just have somebody that you know, i was friends with some your mom or whoever you know yeah it's, it's it's pretty ballsy you know to do something like that just all of a sudden because i grew up in pensacola florida so it's like you know like skateboarding was like you know big in pensacola you know and people that came out are like markovich ricky bmbomb you know names go on and on and on Ricky the and, and so like yeah, so skateboarding, so yeah, so I mean they already took off and lived that dream. And so I was like, fuck, dude, like I'm gonna get out of here, man, and go live, see what California's like. So I just saved a thousand bucks and bought a plane ticket and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> so you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. And, and and it was like the nineties, you know what I mean? So it was like or it was like like nine late early nine or mid nineties, you know what I mean? So it was right when the skateboarding was like like ninety-three, you know, whatever that, that book came out with ninety-three affinity or whatever, or yeah. ninety-three kill. Um, it's just like that. That that era is when I moved out to San Diego, you know, and it was actually pretty cool, you know. So it's it's a different, you know what I mean? Coming from like a small small like town to go into like a big city where you're just like, holy shit, dude, you know. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I, yeah, like I said, I was living in New York City for a year at the School of Visual Arts, going to School of Visual Arts. So I was already accustomed to a big city, but I definitely wasn't accustomed to that feeling. And I think you could probably attest to this, like leaving all your friends behind for this, like, you know, because you said all you knew was your cousin and all I had was my mom's boyfriend's ex-wife. So, I mean, yeah. So it was like, shit, like I left all my homies, all my friends, all my family, and just went for it. You know? Yeah, and, and it's a great. And you know what? And, and you're probably like, you look at it now, like, dude, I, that was the best thing I ever did in my life. You know, it was what as what I needed to do at that time. You know, just because of so many factors. But yeah, I do look back on it. I'm like, I'm I'm grateful I did that. You know, I really am. Yeah. And, and so you, so when you were in LA, I mean, did you work for companies? Did you like, how to like, like, like take a while to like start filming people and, and like how to earn that respect from other skaters and stuff like that? Or. Man, it's just, it's so crazy that you're asking me these questions. Cause it's like, I think that, I mean, I don't know how deep you're trying to get on the show. I would imagine deep, but I, uh, I got, I, I, it was such an intense, painful experience in me for me that I've tried to block this stuff out for so long, and now we're talking about it, which I'm pretty hyped on. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, like, I think the first person—I mean, I think the first person I ever filmed with, uh, simultaneously, I, I was it was Danny Supa, and then mm-hmm. this dude named Jake Eames, who was like a Santa Monica like local. And I walked up to Danny Cooper and I was like, hey, man, 
I, you know, I've, I've been watching your footage like since I was a kid, and I really love your skating. And I was wondering if we could do an interview. And uh, he said, yeah. And we did a short little 10 minute piece that ended up on Transworld website. And, but I mean, other than that, it was like, I just kind of hung around uh, ZJ's board shop or whatever it was called, ZJ's boarding house in mm-hmm. Santa Barbara. And uh, I would talk to Alec Beck a lot. Alec Beck now works for the Tony Hawk Foundation, but he's a great skateboarder too and a really wonderful guy. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, so he, you know, we would we would film a bunch and stuff like that. And then eventually he got some really amazing clips from the documentary. But, you know, it, the, the, the main uh, source of um, – like the ability to get all the footage was from when I met Kurt Stevenson, who was the p- publisher of Power Edge magazine back in the day through 1987 to 1991. Uh, like I explained the story, and uh, he was uh, the one who gave me the the credentials to be able to call, to like, and the contacts to be able to be like, hey, I'm making this documentary for Power Edge. Uh, how would you like to be in the film? So. After that happened, I, things got a lot easier for me. Still very difficult, but things got a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, because, you know, coming, you know, because, you know, the, a lot of those pro skaters or am skaters or whatever, they have their own set filmers. So, you know, they you know they see some dude coming in and they're like, hey, I'm going to film you. They kind of like step back a little bit. You know what I mean? And they're like, uh, let me see how you film. Now, that's how I look at it. It's like they're kind of like step back and they look at you like, let me see what you how you film or you know, this and that. I mean, did you feel like some of the skaters were like that? So that's the thing is that remember in the behind the story, I was like, if I didn't meet Kurt, Kurt Stevenson, I probably would have killed myself. Like, honestly, like all I wanted to do was film pro skaters and amateur skaters. So when I got that connection for Power Edge, I was, I was pleasantly shocked on how willing the Rob Deerdicks and the Colin McKay's and the Room Glifbergs and all those guys were and Sean Sheffy to be a part of the documentary because I was like, man, like, I don't even know if I noticed it at the time, but I was so lucky to have that resource, you know, like a power edge so that I didn't have to go through what you were talking about. Like I didn't have any backlash. Like Cooper will was like, yeah, like power edge, like let's meet up on Wednesday, Patrick Melcher, whoever it was, you know, like Lance Mountain, Dwayne Peters, Mike Smith, like everybody was a hundred percent down. And I really just got so lucky. I think. Oh yeah, dude. Because that's that's rad. Because I mean, I know it's a bunch of skaters. You know, not skaters, but a lot of. I mean, you know, a lot of filmers from all around now that I see, and you know, and and I know, all moved to California to try to be the next big filmer for skateboarding. And and and, and I know a lot of them are struggling because it's so hard because there's so many filmers and photographers that live in California, and to get into the industry it's a lot harder than what it was when you were getting into it, you know, cause you had it easy cause you got through power, you know, power edge helped you out to get you in that way. But a lot of these kids don't have those outlets, you know? Correct. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, cause I mean, they definitely, you know, like they're actually to have their own set of people and they use all the time. They're not going to usually use like a, a kid. They don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think Kurt took a huge chance of me, but then again, Kurt really didn't have much to lose at the time because his magazine had died back in 91. So I think that he just kind of, I don't know, I just serendipitously met him on on Ocean Park and Lincoln Boulevard, and he was like, would you be down to help me? And I was like, yeah, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I feel very fortunate that I didn't even know what Power Edge was. I mean, I, I started skating in 2000 three so like i didn't even know how it was and i don't know i i hear what you're saying it's just like yeah i i hope i didn't ever take it for granted you know i don't think i did because i worked my ass off but like no that's awesome i mean that's awesome you know what i mean to have that you know because i mean like i said it's, it's really tough for a lot of filmers because you know these upcoming filmers who are moving out to california to be the next big time filmer or or get paid or whatever they, whatever they think, you know, but for you, I mean, that's awesome to have that, you know, you know, someone. 
the thing is though, I never got paid for it. I think that's what a lot of people might not realize is that I, it wasn't until the last place that I lived in, I was sleeping on, I was sleeping on my friend Zach's couch in Santa Monica or West LA or whatever. And I finally called up Kurt and his mom and I was like, Listen, I need $300 a month to do this. And that's nothing, right? But like before mm-hmm. that, I didn't get paid at all. And I just did it. And uh, that's why I got evicted. And then I lived on Dane Bromit's couch. And I just gave him a little bit of food stamp money from my, he was like, give me a hundred dollars out of your food stamp money. And I only got $189 from food stamps. Yeah. It wasn't, I think it was like a week or a month. I don't even know. But um, I think it was a month. But I starved every day pretty much to become that filmer. And I didn't like, yeah, I didn't really eat much and I didn't, drink or smoke i mean i until i moved into Bain for the first year i was out there i didn't drink or smoke at all um i didn't party i didn't do anything but go to sleep and wake up the next day and hope for someone to film with and um yeah it was it was crazy like i genuinely i mean that i did not get paid for this experience until i got for the last six for the last three or six months like i was getting paid 300 a month so that's the difference between me and the guys who are going out there now to try to become a filmer that they're trying to make money. And I was literally just trying to make a documentary and starving and living with a undiagnosed mental illness at the same time. Mm-hmm. And how, how, and, and the hustle was pretty strong too, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was intense, man. Like I literally go to grocery stores and I didn't have a car the whole time, so I was walking home with the shopping cart with filled with groceries just to put them back in my fucking fridge and then, like, bringing the shopping cart back to Ralph's or whatever it was. So, yeah, so the hustle was strong, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, because I mean, that shit can swallow you up, man, and, and spit you out quick. <laughs> definitely. definitely. I yeah, mean, I, I was yeah, I've seen so many skaters that come out there and, and they just, they just, you know, out to California and they just get like, you know, they, they mindset, oh, I'm going to be the next pro, I'm going to be the next am, I'm going to be the next this and this. And then all of a sudden they just get caught up in like the wrong things and then they just get spit right out and, and they go away. You know what I mean? And, and it's sad because most of the dudes that, that do come out are amazing skaters, you know, and then all of a sudden they just get caught up in the wrong things or can't handle the hustle and just kind of disappear, you know? Well, yeah, I think a lot of them get caught up with like meeting girls and uh, and uh, meeting like partying. You know, I think that's the that's the thing that kind of takes them under. I didn't do any of that. I just no, no, you, did, you did the right thing. You did the right thing, man. You know, you, you focus on what you want to do. You know, yeah. that's right, dude. And then going back a little bit, so you went to film school. And when you went to film school, did you did the teachers ask you like what you want to do with your filming? Did they ask you you want to do movies? I mean, were you like, no, I'm gonna do skateboard film and I want to do documentaries. I'm gonna do this. Did you tell teachers that? I uh, I kind of went into film school like with a big ego, thinking like I made three skateboarding films in high school, so I like knew everything. And then my teacher Manny Kersheimer, who's like this now, he's like 90 and he's still making documentaries every year. Um, he was like, I want to sit, I want you guys to watch some of my documentaries. And that, that was like the first time I basically ever saw a documentary. I might have saw Lords of Dogtown when I was in high school or whatever it's called. Lord's Dogtown and Dogtown. And, uh, you know, I watched these documentaries. And I was like, this is more along the lines of what I want to do than make a Steven Spielberg film. I don't think I'll ever find the budget to make a Steven Spielberg film. So I want to do something that's closer to skate videos in which you could just pick up a camera and run and gun it and uh, make something special out of it, you know? So that's – none of my teachers asked me, but they definitely inspired me to hone in to, on what I really wanted to do. That's right, dude. I mean, that's right to have teachers that, that inspire you because nowadays, I mean, it's it's tough to find teachers like that or anybody like that to inspire you, you know? I agree completely. Yeah. You know, and and like 
And then, so have you got cut? Have you had your teachers or your teacher has seen your documentary of your newest documentary? Uh, we are skateboarders. Yeah, we are skateboarders. Uh, oh, the behind the story is pretty new. It's only like a month old or so, a little less than a month. We are skateboarders came out in November two thousand ten. But um, yeah, I. I you know, I share my films with a couple of my teachers, uh, my producing teacher and Manny Kershaw, and the one I was mentioning. Yeah, I always keep them in the loop with what I'm doing and whatnot. But uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, they 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 give me positive feedback, so that's that means a lot to me. Oh yeah, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> that's right, dude. So let's go. Let's go to let's talk a little bit about your, the documentary that you done, dude. Tell us a little about it. So, uh, the one I did or the one I'm doing? Which one? What did you say? Oh, uh, the one you did. We are the, the behind the story of We Are Skateboarders. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, it was funny. I was just like having a panic attack in my in my girlfriend's mom's basement. And I was like, I gotta do something with this. Like, I I just feel like I gotta do something. So I I was just like, uh, I was just like. Let's just, I want to go back to my dad's house, grab the hard drive with all the We Are Skateboarders footage, and I want to make like a little small documentary explaining my story behind making the film because I thought it'd be cool. You know, I thought it'd be fun. And um, I thought maybe for all the people out there who were in, who like liked We Are Skateboarders would want to know more the same way that if Paul Thomas Anderson makes boogie nights like i want to see the behind the story on that like i want to hear his perspective so i took the initiative to grab the hard drive and then i had my girlfriend film my interview uh on on the front porch and um yeah i just i don't know i i, I tried to just like tell the story of what really went down during the making of that film and and uh give my gratitude for the people that were in it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I had, you know, I, I worked with uh, 1091 pictures. So I was like, can we distribute, can you guys distribute this? And they said, yes, of course. And it was on from there. And, and how, how's it been? Like, have you getting a lot of good feedback from a lot of people or. Actually, it's funny. Cause you, you pretty much gave me some of the first feedback that I got from it, which was very positive feedback. So I really appreciate that from you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's on, um, it's on a bunch of platforms. I won't see results for a while, but it's on the echo boom sports YouTube channel. I, I think it's kind of like plateauing at 800, 1800 views, but hopefully, uh, the barracks posted about it. So that's cool. Oh, and yeah. you know, skateboarding posted about it. You posted about it. And, uh, so, I'm honestly like I didn't expect much. Like I didn't I I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna make like this much money off of this. I was just like happy to do it. And it was a good COVID project too. Like it was like I did it very early on in the COVID stages. So I was like, I need to work on something, but um I think the feedback's been I think it's been pretty good. Yeah, I hope so. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean I mean it was definitely a great, great, you know, great documentary what you did. I mean, just to get you know, all those skaters, I mean, was it tough to get those skaters get involved in a documentary? Um, well, like I was saying before, because uh, all that footage that was in the behind the story was taken from, like, the We Are Skateboarders original hard drive. So, like I was saying before, like, the whole Power Edge thing really helped me, and the Kurt Stevenson connection really helped me to uh, get the people ought to get on board you know oh yeah that's, that's pretty rad and then like you know like what i was trying to think of what i'm trying to say is that is do you have like a great memory or something that like, stands out more to you when you're out filming these guys yeah for sure i mean i mean i think very early on in the process, and I mean like maybe a month making in the film, month into making the film. Um, trying to think how it really went down, but I think that I had met Jake Brown somewhere, or no, I called. I, oh, 
MySpace, Jake Brown. I, I oh, my, you said MySpace? <laughs> yeah, I set up an account and I MySpace Jake Brown. And he was, oh, there's a power of MySpace. And he was like, I'm totally down to, to meet for this interview. Come meet me at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood Boulevard. And yeah, literally he uh, he um, was there DJing. And uh, he was like, hey, my friends Drew Glifberg and Colin McKay are here. So I was like, oh, great. And they were like, oh, yeah, what's up, man? Like, Sean Sheffy's here too. So I interviewed all three of them that night. And then we went to watch Jake DJ in the bar at the Roosevelt Hotel. And um, uh, Rob Dyrdek was there. And Colin McKay was like, hey, Rob, like, this is my friend Ben from Power Edge. He's like, oh, shit. Pat Rob was like, oh, shit, Power Edge? Like, that's awesome, man. Like, I haven't heard about Power Edge in a long time. What's up with that? And I was like, I explained him the story. And, like, and then I was like, would you be down to do an interview? So, like, you got to think, like, at 19 years old, just coming out from, from New York, like, not knowing anybody all the way to California, like, for that to happen, like, two weeks to a month into making the film, like, that was a very special memory of mine. I mean, I, that it kind of, like, gave me the confidence to just be like, all right, like, something's in the stars with this, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. I mean, because think about it. I mean, you just hit, like, what five different big name pros right there, you know, legendary pros on one night. <laughs> sure, yeah, I know. I do think about it and I'm like, I don't know. I, I guess I just like, I, it's, it's been so long since that night, you know, and I just like start to think like, why, why did that happen? I don't know. Like I try not to look too far too deep into it, but I just, I just feel really fortunate and grateful that that it happened to me. Oh yeah. And do you have a favorite person that you like, like one of your favorite people that you film, like something that stand out for you that, that made you feel like, dude, this is rad that I'm filming this person. Like what he's talking about, his skating, everything. Like do you have that one person. Yeah. I mean, I, there's so many guys that I interviewed. I mean, like I said, in behind the story, we are skateboarders like Dane Brummett was really like he became like I mean he's I haven't talked to him in like a couple of years but not not for anything like bad blood or anything just like we just haven't talked because he's been you know working up his ranks in the growing business whatever but uh but um he was like a brother to me like truly like an older brother and he took me in and just the knowledge that he had about the skateboarding industry really woke me up to thinking like this you know thinking that everything in the skateboarding industry was just like you know chocolate and rainbows and it really wasn't like that and the skateboarding industry is a lot like hollywood and that it's very doggy dog and uh he woke me up to that and that that meant a lot to me because he gave me a lot of drive to making for making the film like uh understanding what I was really going for, you know, and mm -hmm. understanding the point, like, well, is Ryan Sheckler really just like, is he blowing it for skateboarding or is he lifting it to a different level that it's never been in? And like Lance Mountain concluded that for me and stuff like that. So Dane was a huge factor. Not only, he's just a rad dude. Like he, he introduced me to like, Oh yeah, you just eat a little bit of salad in the morning and have a Snickers bar in the afternoon, and then you can survive the rest of the day. Like that was thing to eat, so I just like I just did that. Like I was like, all right, I'll have a little bit of salad and then eat a Snickers bar at three p.m. and then we'll make it, we'll make it, you know. So he really had that big brother effect on me, and uh, and then his interview specifically for We Are Skateboarders is very powerful, I think, and. Uh, I put a little bit of that interview in the behind the story. Oh yeah, dude. And, and, and what he said about eating a little salad in the morning and, and Snickers in the afternoon, it's, it's actually true. I mean, I, I mean me, I, I would do the breakfast burritos, you know, cause they're like so big and pay six bucks for that thing. And I'll last you for like a whole day. Yeah. No, I, I, I lived off of breakfast burritos and California burritos when I was out there, man. I can roll with a California burrito. Hell no, dude. I can grab one right now, dude. <laughs> California the burrito that has the uh, fries in it, or is that uh, something from Philadelphia? No, no, California burritos are the burritos with a uh, corn asada, 
uh, cheese, guacamole, sour cream, and uh, french fries or potatoes. Yeah, yeah. They call them. Potatoes. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's fucking. Yeah. Yeah, that thing's huge, man. It's six bucks for that thing. You, know, you, can, you can cut one, cut it in half, and like three halves, and that'll last you for like a whole day. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, I remember, uh, one time I was eating. Uh, uh, what was it called? That that really cheap. It's like the McDonald's of Asian restaurants. I I, I can't believe I'm forgetting what it's called. Uh, there's one in MacArthur Park. You Oshinoya, something like that? Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of it either. Oshinoya, that's it. And I was eating with Sammy Baptista, and I was, like, watching him eat. And I was like, man, man like, oh. And he finished, and I was like, Sammy, you think I'm going to have the rest of it? He's like, go for it. And I was like, I'm in heaven right now. Like, because I'm telling you, I just never ate, you know? Uh-huh. That was a fine memory, too. Well, that's that's good to have somebody like you know uh, someone like Dane to like teach you like everything. You know what I mean? Like how the industry works and how this does, and like you know showing you ways of like how to live your life. You know, that's pretty fucking awesome to have somebody like that. You know, not to mention, but like he when I came into his house, he was like, "Here's the weed, here's the whiskey. It's all fair game." So at at that age, it meant a lot to me too. Yeah, I mean, cause, cause think about it, it made you who you are now, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like I, I know I don't stop to think about that enough, but I do know that I was very impressionable at that age, and so I, you know, I definitely wanted to be like Dane for sure, and it still resides in me for sure. Like I still have aspects of Dane in me for sure, you know, like wanting to, like wanting to be free and. Because he was—he's the freest man I know. Like even to this day, like, like now he's making all this money doing X, Y, and Z, and he's still getting to live. Because he went from being a professional skateboarder to being hitting rock bottom, almost going to jail. Now he's making tons of money doing X, Y, and Z, and he's always lived that free lifestyle. Kind of how I've always wanted to be, although it's definitely not always been like that for me in my later years but yeah yeah and and you were talking about the industry what did you learn about the industry oh man so yeah like i said like it's a lot like hollywood it's a lot doggy dog like um you know ardo already said it to me best he was like he was like you know there's there's bigger there's the egos are bigger in skateboarding than they are in the music industry um and, uh, you know, it's just, it's very finicky because, like, put yourself in a professional skateboarder's shoes for a second. Like, I have to do this too. Like, you know, they have the pressure of, like, filming a video part, getting photos for their ads in trans world. And then, like, you know, they also want to have their personal life, so they want to go out to the bar until 2 a.m. Yeah. And they have so much freedom in their life because they're getting paid to skate that uh, they don't realize how much going to the bar and getting drunk until 2 a.m., four nights out of the week, five nights out of the week, can affect their profession. Because uh, mm. they're not taking that into account because they don't have anybody telling them that they can't do that. I mean, sometimes you'll hear like stories about like, Oh, Andrew Reynolds gave Antoine Dixon a pep talk about like, you know, Antoine, like if you just get one trick a month, you'll have a good video part. But like most dudes, like they don't take it as far as Antoine Dixon, but they also don't take it as far as like, like a Ryan Sheckler who really believes in like, you know, training and all that stuff and whatever. That's everybody's own kind of cost to bear. But for me, I look at it like the skateboarding industry is made up of a bunch of people who dictate a skateboarder's professional skateboarder success but they don't put themselves in their shoes so if they did they'd probably go to the professional skateboarder and say hey like greg let's go like you can't party this much because you have to produce a video part in six months and so then it would put into greg let's head like oh man i should probably slow down on the party and just focus on waking up sober more and uh you know fucking filming tricks 
And so you got the professional skateboarder like almost like ruining their career all the time because their body doesn't feel as good after they party until 2 a.m., especially mm -hmm. if they four nights in a row or whatever, or four nights out of the week. So they literally jeopardize their career. And then, you know, the people who, let's say, whatever, like run foundation skateboards, they're like, fuck this dude. Like, he's not performing, but they're not giving them any, like, constructive structure or feedback on, like, how they should be living their life. So that's why a lot of dudes drop out of the industry so quickly is because they're not taking into consideration how much free time they have and how useful it would be for them to chill the fuck out on the party and just focus on the skating. So it's very like competitive, but it's also like brainwashing. Cause it's like, here's all this free time. What are you going to do with it? And if you're 24 years old or 19 years old, of course you're going to party, you know, Yeah. but these guys just don't know that. So they fall out of the industry and they say, what the fuck just happened? And then it's the guys like Nija and Shane O'Neill that prevail and then there's jealousy and shit like that. So because the guys who fell off, so it's a very convoluted industry. It's a very fucked up industry. There's a lot of politics, and uh, that's what I learned. I, I call I call it a cool guy club. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I call it. Man. The cool guy, cool guy club. If you're not part of the cool guy club, then you're, you're look upon. You know, you look down on. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's you very know, right? political. Yeah, no, I agree with you on all that stuff. It's definitely very political and stuff. And and and, do you feel like the new upcoming skaters are going to make a change, or you think they're they're going to make it worse? I don't have any like personally. Like if you ask me, I think Shane O'Neill is probably right under Nigel Houston under the best skateboarders that ever lived. But yeah. I don't, I don't. They're not my favorite skaters for sure. Like they're not. But I do respect their passion and their talent. Um, I don't. I don't even like. I, I go on Thrasher once in a while. Like I, I check out the new skaters and stuff like that. I think it's pretty cool. Like I, I think like the Supreme dudes have made a really big impact on skateboarding with uh, Cherry and then uh, whatever the second Supreme video is called. Um, oh, yeah. you talking about? Yeah, yeah. So it's like these new guys. I don't know. I don't, I've been out of skateboarding for so long. You know, I work on documentaries from like a humanitarian point of view now. Like I do like stuff with disabled people and whatnot and, and autism and mental health. But what I do know is that like, I think like Dane actually to go back to Dane, he explained it best. Like he was like, yeah, I used to party till two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning and then go win a contest the next day and be ranked as like the number one professional skateboarder in the contest realm for in the whole world. And I don't think that happens as much these days. So I don't know, like maybe, maybe the skateboarding industry is Dane would, um, you know, like tell let's go like, dude, like come party with us till four o'clock in the morning and let's go to be like, nah, I can't, I got to win this competition tomorrow. But then like Dane would beat him. So I don't know, like maybe like, Maybe this new generation of skaters is taking like the training aspect and taking care of themselves better, more seriously. I don't know. I can't prove that, but I would. I have an intuition that that's how it is now. So maybe, uh, maybe they're doing a better job at not falling off so easily. But I think these days, skateboarding because there's what seventeen million skaters in the world and everybody wants to be a pro. Like, I think that number is actually true. Like seventeen million skaters. Um, I think that a lot so much now than ever. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think that that many skaters out there who want to turn pro. I mean, so, I mean, the industry has to do something to, you know, retire people or, or, or move on and get new people on. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, think about it. Like when, once Olympics finally happens next year, if it ever happens, and skateboarding is, is a part of it. Think how many more skaters are going to get more involved and more kids, parents are going to turn their kids pro or kids want to turn pro or am or whatever, you know, just because of Olympics. And now industry has to do a whole new thing to like 
So, you know, yeah, then things out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I never even, I didn't even think of that because, yeah, the Olympics was supposed to go down, but then the COVID hit and they couldn't do it. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's either, you know, either it's, it's, it's going to change. I don't know. I, I'm just curious to see if it's going to change it. A lot of people think it's going to stay the same and it's going to help it out, this and that. But it, is it going to change it and, and flood the market for more pro skaters or more kids turning pro, you know? You know, it always comes down to this thing where it's like, I think I've always ruled good skateboarding by the three S's, song, style, and skateboarding. So what that means is, like, if you look at a video part, take Andrew, Andrew Reynolds in any of his parts pretty much. The goal, this is skateboarding, whatever. Open three, he's got the style that everybody loves. He's always got good songs that's, that are playing in his video part, and his skateboarding is phenomenal. And I think that if you don't have those three things, you don't get very far in skateboarding. That's just been my, been my honest belief since I was a kid. No, that, that's honestly that's true. <laughs> that's honestly, that's, no, that's honestly true. And then, who are your favorite skaters? Like, what was what's your favorite like style of skating you like to watch? Uh, I would say either Mark Johnson or Dustin Ball, and maybe it's like a heavy tie between them both. I that's love a, Sammy. Baca. You say you like Sammy? Sammy Baca, yeah, Sammy's the man. Maybe Mark Johnson's my favorite skater of all time. I also really love Alex Farmers and Dan Vahobo. Yeah, that's some that's some good heavy hitters like there to have some favorites, man. I think mine always my always what I remember when I was growing up of mine was always Matt Hensley. You know, I mean, he was like my big time favorite. I just I just liked his style, you know, like his just punk rock style. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he made a huge skateboarding. Mean, I mean, he inspired me a lot in my skateboarding, you know, and I remember just having, you know, cut out pictures of him skating and, and you know, and I would go and like try to copy his, you know, his tricks or, or study his tricks and stuff like that and try to do, do his tricks and stuff. Because, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, there was not really, there were skate videos, but they're on VHS and skate videos, you had to wait for like six months for the next video to come out, you know? So all the thing we had were magazines and you just flip through magazines and you like study their, okay, how do they have their foot like this? They have the foot like that. This is how you do it, you know? Yeah, like um, like ban this, like the, that old, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, that, that tells you how old I am. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, but so what's going a little bit back to you know what's going on in your future right now? So you do a lot of stuff with autism kids and and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I made a documentary about the Ace Gate Foundation, uh, which is Chris Worley and the Ace Gate Foundation. Uh, but then I moved on to like this documentary called Tin Soldiers, which is about adaptive sports. So there's like a lot of WCMX in there, which is basically like skateboarding in a wheelchair. What? Tell us about that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't even know where to begin, but basically, yeah, like people drop in on like I've seen. I mean, I I filmed somebody, some kid, like eleven year old kid, drop in in a wheelchair on an eleven foot quarter pipe. Uh, I've seen them do a backflip in a wheelchair. I've seen them grind rails. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. rewind that. You said backflip. Yeah, yeah. How in the world do you do a backflip in a wheelchair, dude? That's gnarly. If I was right next to you, I'd airdrop you the footage, but uh, I can't. But yeah, I could certainly send that to you. Like I have on footage, like this guy named Aaron Fotheringham, like he skates the uh, mega ramp in a wheelchair. He's done like backflips. Yeah, I'm not kidding. This is a real thing. Dude, that's gnarly, dude. That's so crazy. Yeah. Well, there's where's this kid? You probably filmed him or you probably heard of him, Robert Thompson. He's from San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah. He he does a lot of wheelchair skating too. So I mean, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's in, he's in the documentary a little bit. Ten soldiers. Oh, what sick! Yeah, I know Robert. He's a super cool kid, dude. Like well, I see him skate all the time. Like, he goes skate with T Bone and all those guys and stuff. And he does some gnarly stuff, dude. I'm just like, dude, that's fucking nuts, dude. That's so much respect for you. You know, yeah. that's that's awesome to you know you know to take wheelchair. Wheelchair, you're being in a wheelchair to something more extreme, you know, taking it to another stream. I think that's awesome, dude, because I mean, you know, it, you know, 
it's, it's just I mean, just being in the wheelchair, to, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything negative or bad, but being in the wheelchair, you know, people get put in wheelchairs or for accidents or birth or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, they get depressed, you know, they get like all depressed because like, dude, I can't do what George is doing down the street, like skateboarding and stuff. But then also now you see a kid like Robert Thompson, you're watching this video. He's going to hike that kid in the wheelchair. But like, dude, I want to do that. I want to be like that kid, you know, it's just like skateboarding and surfing, you know, that's, that's so rad, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, as long as he doesn't jump on a, on a scooter, I'll be stoked on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's nothing worse than like having one day off or whatever and then going to the skate park on Sunday and it's just filled with scooter kids. Oh, those rainbow kids, man. It's so horrible, dude. <laughs> I don't know who invented that shit, dude. That's his. That's just crazy. I mean, I, I see other crazy stuff. I see people now doing the, the I don't know up, uh, I don't know where you're at, but uh, down here where I'm staying right now in Florida, until everything gets clear up out in California, I'll be making my trip, my way back out there. But I'm staying in Florida right now, and I, I see here like people doing those one wheels things. You know what I'm talking about? They stand on their two feet and so they got the one wheel, like one yeah, wheel yeah. I yeah. see people riding those. I'm just like, and they're like gangs of them too. They're like all like, you know, like like they're all like a gang. I'm like, dude, dude what are you doing? Just ride a skateboard <laughs> or, or do something else, you know? Like, how can that be so fun, you know? Yeah, I know. What you mean? But yeah, there's some crazy things that are, that get people event out there that like people will be stoked on, you know? It's, I remember this. I don't know if you. I don't know if you remember the snakeboard. You remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And the, and and there was so, and I remember that company was trying to push snakeboards so bad. I remember one time in PB, they they shut down like half of the boardwalk and had these people like do snakeboard demos out there to promote it. And I was just like, what the uh, fuck is this shit, dude? Yeah, I haven't seen a snakeboard in quite a little while. I think I tried to ride one time. It was just, uh, it wasn't for me. Yeah, it's just, you know, people just trying to copy skateboarding, you know, as always, you know, fashion, everything, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, it's wild, man, but it's just nothing ever kind of compares to skateboarding at the end of the day. No, no, definitely not, man. And so what are you doing now? I mean, other than the other documentaries, like what's, what's what do you got brewing up? So what I got growing up, me and my girlfriend are starting a company called uh, the Hudson Valley Collective. Okay. And uh, so we're based out of Hudson Valley in New York, and we're essentially creating a brand that is uh, skateboarding, fashion, and uh, trying to promote artists in the Hudson Valley. So, uh, you know, with her fashion background and my uh, skateboarding background, we're really trying to create something to do it to really tell skateboarding community uh, into a different level on a different level. I mean, also like taking, you know, just trying to, you know, skateboarding with fashion, we're kind of it's skateboarding is kind of all like a trend. So we're trying to just kind of do that, you know, make, make fashionable clothing. That skaters will hopefully run away, and but you know, also getting really amazing boards printed, and yeah, like I said, just kind of tells There's not too much going on out here with that. Dude, that's pretty rad. I mean, because in in for the skateboard, you know, clothes, there's really not that much anymore, man. There's only like you know your big brands, you know, Volcom, uh, Brixton. And I think that's really it. Quicksilver here and there, whatever. I don't know if that's still in it, but I mean, there's really not that much, you know, you know, small brand clothes brands. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't know, man. Like, for instance, like we're working with uh, this, this nonprofit called Skateboard, the city that's like 20 minutes away from where I live. And uh, we're just, we're trying to do whatever we can to help these guys open a skate park in because skate parks are so few and far between here. It's insane. Like you have to drive 50 minutes to get to any skate park, to 30 to 50 minutes. You know, 
But that's oh, wow, damn, that sucks, dude. <laughs> and like, there's only like, there's a skate park in Middletown, there's a skate park in Garner, there's a skate park in Saturdays, and there's a skate park. I don't even know. Like, there's upstate, there's, there's hardly anything to skate. So we want to really propel skateboarding to get to this place where we can get approved for a four hundred thousand dollar, you know, skate park, a concrete skate park, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's so, right. Yeah. That's right, dude. I mean, it sounds like you're doing trying to do a lot for your skate community in your area, you know? Trying to, man. I, I it's I want to give them for sure. Yeah, cause I mean, they're actually what's cool is they're actually uh, finally getting a, a skate park built in uh, in my hometown, Pensacola, Florida, and Pivots Customs um, Tito is building it, and um, yeah, so I mean, they're supposed to be breaking grounds next year so I'm, I'm gonna be i'm gonna leave up go up there in a week or next friday and stay in pensacola for a little bit to help them out and you know make sure the park is legit and you know because it's good it's, you know we had skate parks before a bit of it you know like Myrtle grove like ymca's had skate parks and stuff but i mean that was back in the late 80s early 90s and we haven't had really like any good skate parks at all we had like refab parks and stuff but nothing like a, a, a nice concrete because they're building underneath a overpass um out in Pensacola. so i mean hopefully i just want to make sure it's a legit cement park you know yeah because sure. i mean it definitely you know help out the community a lot because i mean it was like i said before like skateboarding was huge after a lot of people came out of pensacola you know like i said ricky being bombed for filming you know uh pete kelly for skating and markovich for skating and stuff like that so i mean it's there's a lot of history for skateboarding there. So it's just, it sucks when I go back and visit, when I gone back and visit, it seemed like it kind of died down, but there's that new kid that came from, um, I can't remember his name, who just turned pro for girl. Um, he's out of Pensacola. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of skateboarding out of there, but, but hopefully, hopefully the park will be dope as shit. <laughs> when you were living in San Diego back in the day, did you know a dude named Matt Brody who, Passed away eventually. Well, wasn't it Matt, Matt Brody? Yeah, Matt Brody. He was like a Plan B, uh, like prodigy, and then I don't know what happened to him. But I filmed with him a little bit for We Are Skateboarders, but then he uh, he passed away from uh, pneumonia. Actually, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, I just figured because you were in San Diego, you probably know him. He's a San Diego local, like he's that's where he did his thing, but. Um, I just want to know if you knew him. Yeah, I probably did. I mean, if I if I like, I mean, there's so many. There were so many people back then. You know what I mean? That passed through the that ha- the house I lived at was called DQ House. So it was like the skate house, you know. So there's so many people that passed through, and you know, I probably skated with him and met him. I mean, if I saw like a face, or I have to rewatch the video again and, and stuff like that. So I probably probably have seen him, you know, or hung out with him. Yeah, exactly. I was just you know, wondering. Yeah, probably half. <laughs> I mean, Sheffy, it was crazy when you said Sheffy. I mean, Sheffy was in your thing because he, he was my, uh, he lived with me at my DQ house, you know. Okay. I remember. Yeah, because he would come home, he would come to the house and like, he he only put his my his stuff in my room because he didn't trust my roommates or anybody else that would stay at the house. But he always like, he told me, he's like, dude, I leave my stuff in your room because I trust you. I was like, all right, baby. No worries, dude. Stay right there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, Chevy's a cool dude, man. I love that guy, man. Super nice guy. Oh, nice. And, and Derek and Derek, he used to live at my cousin's, and I would go skate on the hill, and then like he would come down, and all those alien. He lived at the alien workshop house in San Diego, so they would come down and skate. We all skate together, and when I moved to the house, he would pick me up and take me to his house and be like. All right, man, pick out whatever you want. I, mean, I wouldn't pick out the shoes because I wear a size 12, so I couldn't fit the shoes. But, like, you just give me the Elliott Workshop boards, banners, whatever I want, you know. So it was pretty rad. Nice. You know, to see Derek and, you know, in your documentary and stuff, you know, and, like, you filming him and stuff. So, I mean, it's pretty rad, dude. Like, you know, all that good stuff. But, yeah. but do you have, like, anything you want to say to anybody? Ooh. Um... I don't think I want to say anything. Uh, I guess all I can say is that, like, you know, I remember you mentioning early on in this interview, like, it's it is tough for a lot of 
people that got California trying to make those appointments, I would just like uh, say that for those people that are trying to do that or whatever, like you have to really eat humble pie for a little while, you know, like you got to really um, keep your expectations low and, and not kind of come off too, uh, too hungry or too desperate. You kind of just got to be like, I'm willing to do whatever I can to help out. And there's not too many people that will literally just be like to a night, like to a 19 year old face. Like, like I'm sure Dave Swift would be like, Oh no, fuck you. Like, you know, I'm sure some people say, hey, dude, I have like a little camera to keep some behind the scenes photos of you shooting. I'm sure he'd be happy to, you know, pick them up and bring them to the session. So, like, I don't know. It's just all about like being true to yourself and just also just not getting too carried away with expectations at first. You know, I, I mean, I think that's really important. Just like, and also just face-to-face eye contact, like walk up to people and just talk to them in person. Uh, it's not as scary as you think, you know, and that's, that's the best, that's the only advice, that's the only thing I would like to say because I wish somebody would have told me that then, but I kind of just went for it. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you went for it because look, look where, you know, look what you have done and look where you're at, you know, that's fucking awesome. Thanks, man, I appreciate it. You know, and, and, and one last thing, so you, you said you you done stuff with uh, Joe Krillick. Well, what'd you do? Joe Krillick, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's actually a really funny story, uh, quick story. So when I was going, we had done the first two issues of the remake of Power Egg back in 2009 or 2010, and Joe Krillick and Deville News wanted to come on board to pretty much take over my position, but I knew what they were up to, so I fucking freaked out on them. Like I yelled at both of them like really badly when I was 19 or 20 or whatever it was. And uh, still to this day, I feel so bad about that. So I actually hit up, I called Joe and I called DeVille. And I was like, guys, I came to. And I was like, guys, I'm so sorry for yelling at you. Like, you guys are the fucking best. Like, you guys are amazing photographers. I could have never yelled at you. They were like, it's all good, man. We get it. So all I can say about Joe is that he's, he's a sweetheart, you know? Oh yeah, dude. He's he's definitely a good guy, man. You know, he's done a lot for skateboarding too, you know? Oh yeah. Definitely does, dude. And and so where can people check out your video um your documentaries at? Oh, cool. Yeah. So we are skateboarders on Amazon Prime and iTunes and with the behind the story is uh, for free on YouTube. Uh yeah, I think Echo Boom Sport distributed that. So it's on YouTube and it's on iTunes and Amazon Prime and uh or yeah, I don't know how it works on YouTube. Maybe it's it's free, but the ads cost. I, I have no idea. I don't even look into that shit. But um, yeah, that's where you can find them. Okay. And then, do you have like a website? Do you have like anything where people can like check you out or, or anything? Yeah, yeah. My personal website is benduffypresents.com. Okay. Yeah. And do you have an Instagram or anything? Or oh yeah, yeah. My uh, Instagram is run seahorse run. But they could also follow my uh, my new brand, Eclectics.hv. Oh, hell yeah. And then you have anything else you want to say, anything else, or anything coming up, or, or anything you're working on? Just pretty much Hudson Valley Eclectics. Just working really hard on that. And I just want, you know, hopefully uh, people will get it behind it so that we can really make some progress in skateboarding in the Hudson Valley. Cool. And 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 when do when do you plan to have the product dropping? Uh, winter time. All right. Cool. Cool. So you hear that? You hear that, guys? Check them out, man, and and grab some products and and support skateboarding and support for a good cause. You know. Definitely. Hell yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much, man. And oh, wait, one more thing. So has anybody asked you if you're Pat Duffy's brother, or did you get anything like that? <laughs> uh. I have gotten that a few times, not from the pros, because I think they probably would have known that Pat Duffy doesn't have a brother named Ben. But, um, yeah, people have been like, oh, what are you, Pat Duffy's cousin or brother or whatever? Yeah, so I've gotten that a few times, but um, no one's ever, like, 
asked me to sign an autograph on his behalf. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that would be funny, dude. <laughs> that would be funny. Well, well I just want to say one thing. Um, October 25th is a TSM live show, uh, season three, episode six. Um, it's a really going to be a really good show. Um, we're actually taking a show and traveling to a, a location, but you will find out what location it is on the 25th of October at 11 a.m. So make sure you check it out. You can check it out on E360 TV, uh, True Skateboard Mag Facebook um, page, and definitely you don't want to miss it because it's going to be a definitely a good show. Um, a lot of good uh, people on there, magicians, all that stuff. And I just want to say, Ben, dude, I'm so stoked to sit down and talk to you. Um, and, dude, your documentaries are definitely really, really good, dude. And I'm so proud of you. And, you know, and, and you killed it. You definitely killed it. And, hey, you did you did the right thing by, you know, taking off to L.A. and 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 or California to live that dream. And, and, and look where you came. You know, look what you've been doing. You know, that's fucking awesome, dude. I'm so proud of you, dude. Thank you, man. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me. It really means a lot. I hear you say that. Hell yeah, homie. Well, cool, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, look forward for the um, – and is that a wheelchair documentary out yet, or is that coming out soon? Oh, yeah, yeah. That one with the WCMX is called Tin Soldiers, and that's also on Amazon Prime. Okay. I, I think I'm going to go – I got Amazon Prime, so I'm going to go – Check that out because I, I want to I want to check that thing out because if hey if you guys haven't seen wheelchair skating dude it's fucking insane dude you have to check it out <laughs> yeah Didn't all right thanks. yeah definitely thanks so much Ben for being on the show man all right, of course thank you all right buddy have a good one peace all right, peace.